Hey, Alexander, welcome back on the Nico show. I missed you, my friend. Thanks a lot, Nikos. It's really good to be back. This is the first podcast I've done in about three months. It's not pod fade. It's like winter time when the tree stops expanding just to rest. Because if you just had growth all the time, the tree would split, right? Indeed. And we always need to regenerate a little bit. So uh, I'm glad to hear that you're taking care of yourself. Thanks. So this is my first podcast in three months, and I'm not even using my proper mod- podcasting gear because I'm traveling. I'm currently in Ukraine. So apologies if the audio isn't that great this episode. But today we're going to go back into Alexander's fascinating life. As a bit of a recap, he was a very successful banker, investor, um, green um, payment facilitator, and project financier, seer, and then he basically got sick of all that and... Uh, you should all watch this documentary, Headwind 21, I believe it's called. And so mm-hmm. I'm just really curious to... I've also done a podcast recently as well. Uh, well, we did one about seven months ago. So I'm just basically uh, interested to see how you're doing and just basically what the fallout is of all that stuff in your life. <laughs> but, Great. Yeah, I mean, the last time we spoke, it was uh, the depths of winter here in, in northern Sweden. Uh, now it's uh, we're coming into summer. I've just uh, started getting my uh, my little farm uh, up up and running and in order. Uh, but the last time we spoke, I was talking about my concerns about the rise of what I called the uh, green new world order. Uh, and uh, in seven months, I can't believe what's happened. You know, the uh, the the film was just a, sort of a kickoff point. Uh, things really started to take off since our podcast together. So, Nikos, I, I feel I need to give you some type of credit for uh, being one of the first, you know, uh, platforms of truth, I guess I'd, I'd call you, uh, who took interest in it. And, uh, you know, it's been seven months, magic number seven, and I've just come back from Stockholm where I, I didn't crash, but I participated in a essentially a secret United Nations meeting. So lots to talk about. Um, where do you want to start? Secret UN meeting, man. Yeah. So um, uh, the New World Order is a concept that most people call conspiracy. Uh, it is based on a, a belief that many people have that globalization is, has become a cancer that is going to consume our society with the global elite uh, represented uh, in many forms by this World Economic Forum headed by Klaus Schwab. Uh, Last week was a meeting which was called Stockholm Plus 50. It was a United United Nations General Assembly meeting. And if you're familiar with the United Nations, of course, it's this unelected global organization that uh, runs many things. it runs the World Health Organization, which many of us have become familiar with through the pandemic and Ted Ross. Uh, it runs the World Bank and the IMF, which you may have heard of if you watch international news. They lend money, particularly to uh, third world countries and uh, and the like. Uh, it's also UNICEF. It's uh, the World Meteorological Organization. It's the International Panel on Climate Change, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. 
which people might know from uh, Don't Look Up or Al Gore, you know, the climate change agenda. Um, it also has peacekeepers. And these are soldiers from around the world that go into uh, problem areas, particularly in the developing world. Um, uh, they are an unelected, uh, it is an unelected entity that's been, that celebrated 75 years this year. So this was the Stockholm Plus 50 meeting, which was the 50th anniversary of something called the Stockholm uh, Conference of 1972. And if you Google it, it was absolutely incredible. It was like a massive environmental summit where all the great and the good of the world came together to talk about the fact that the earth is in peril. It was the first planetary alarmist uh, meeting on a global basis. Uh, it was corresponded with a really famous book that many people talk about, which is called uh, The Club of Rome's Limits to Growth. Uh, that's a really big book in the spheres of um, one world order, depopulation, etc. Uh, and they were meeting 50 years later to take stock. Uh, I came across the meeting about six weeks ago, uh, and I couldn't find anything in the mainstream media. You know, 1972, this was a huge meeting. I mean, you know, thousands and thousands and protests and, uh, you know, everyone getting together. This was the 50th anniversary, uh, and it was almost radio silence, you know. Uh, I got in touch with all of my media contacts and, you know, through the wind farm fraud reveal process, I've approached, you know, probably 250 journalists. I found 30 of the best, uh, you know, at The Guardian, uh, at Forbes, at FT, Independent, some Swedish media, and emailed them and said, you know, guys, what's going on? You know, this is the most important meeting, supposedly, in the last 50 years. The planet is dying. Uh, the climate is, you know, exploding. Uh, why is no one talking about it? Um, and I got no answer. Uh, and even during the meeting, most of the media coverage was only in Swedish. And afterwards, there were only a handful of mentions. So it's, it's incredible, really. Um, and so I decided to go. It was in Stockholm. I live in Sweden. And uh, I went in, uh, I through random chance happened to know one of the organizers uh, and I, I checked it out and we're living in a global theater. And I was on one of the stages, you know, it was the West End, uh, the London West End of uh, New World Order Theater. Uh, there were staged events. Uh, I participated in a staged uh, Greta Thunberg protest. Uh, and most of the people there didn't even know that they were taking part in a theater. It was incredible. Uh, and it just, it just really underpinned the fact that we need to be looking at everything that's going on in the world at the moment and just think about whether it might be staged. And then if it is staged, you need to think about what is the purpose. And, uh, and Stockholm plus 50, uh, I don't know. Uh, did you, Nikos, did you happen to catch uh, the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee celebrations? Uh, I was very, didn't really care. I, I didn't really care to be honest. I had other <laughs> things to do. I'll have them for, for myself, so. To be, to be perfectly honest, Nikos, as a Scot, 
Um, I would have been surprised if you would have uh, partaken as an enthusiast in the Queen's celebrations. Um, but David Attenborough uh, did a tribute to the Queen and they projected on the side of Buckingham Palace a video with uh, David Attenborough. I, uh, I encourage all your listeners for a bit of fun uh, just to, to Google that. And basically David Attenborough, who is uh, a fear monger of this new world order, talked about the planet being you know, on, on the edge of destruction. Uh, and he, he recited or he presented the mantra of this new world order, rise of the machines. Um, technology will save us. Uh, and he had a big picture of a wind turbine on the side of Buckingham Palace. Uh, and those of you who listened to the previous podcast, which, you know, again, I encourage people to because it was a really good uh, dialogue between the two of us. Uh, I mentioned how the wind turbine is uh, sort of the symbol of this uh, rise of the machines. You know, they... Uh, uh, Throughout Stockholm Plus 50, um, John Kerry, um, Antonio Guterres, Cristina Figueres, these are the celebrities or the, 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 I guess, yeah, they're the celebrities of the climate world. They all say machines will save us. Uh, even Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Jennifer Gardner in this recent total disaster of a movie was... Um, was uh, based on, you know, like an asteroid hitting the earth and, and technology saving us. So, uh, so it was very funny to see even the queen uh, participating in this theater. And uh, uh, the entire thing from the queen was a bit weird. It was, uh, she had like a DNA lit up pathway to a tree which lit up. It was like the tree of life or something like that, who knows. Um, but there seems to be more and more symbolism. And uh, if you look out into the press, uh, if you look out into a lot of the things that are happening in uh, our children's schools and otherwise, uh, there seems to be this real tangible trend of this new world order really trying to permeate into every aspect of our lives. So I'm just looking at the, but by the way, thanks for that great introduction. I'm just looking at stockholm50.global website and it's quite curious the date, 2nd to 4th of June. And also running on the, on the, sorry, the Stockholm one was 2nd to the 3rd of June. And also on the 2nd mm -hmm. to 4th of June, the, the Bank of International Settlements was running the Green Swan uh, conference. No, it's, it's, they had a Green Swan. Okay. I was watching stuff on YouTube. It was a bank of international sense. I don't know if they were replaying the Green Swan Conference in 2022. They might have actually trolled me by doing that because I've actually got my facts wrong. <laughs> Green, Green Swan yeah. 20... Okay, no, no, here it is. It was the 31st of May to the 1st of June. So that was Green Swan 2020. Yeah. 20, 22. <laughs> and that was... Yeah, uh, the bank of international settlements. So that's interesting that that ran at the basically exact same time as the Stockholm Fifty. I'm curious how you yeah. managed to get actually get into that event if it was secret. Well, the funny thing is, is that um, these events, if you do your homework, uh, you find out that there's a lot of ancillary activities um, that are open to the public uh, at Stockholm Plus Fifty. 
uh, that a lot of money was poured into by companies like Ericsson into an organization called We Don't Have Time. And We Don't Have Time is a very peculiar uh, sort of like media organization. Uh, Ingmar Rensog, who's the CEO, I interviewed him in Headwinds. He is uh, credited with uh, creating Greta um, and really bringing Greta up. Uh, and during the course of the week, they hired out like a, an entire and put on, someone said, better than CNN quality sort of programming, which had all types of really I mean, high quality people, CEOs, chief sustainability officers, senior investors, uh, people who are, there were celebrities were there. I think Ariana Grande was involved in the, in the closing uh, and it was all, you know, brainwash uh, material. On the surface, it sounds amazing, you know, save the world, do good things, but there was always an undercurrent, current, you know, rise machines machines will save us, you know, trust in the technology. Uh, no one questioning who owns that technology. What are the unintended consequences of that technology? Um, you know, is that technology actually going to destroy us rather than save us? So, um, so I participated in those and you just had to know that they were on. You dropped an email uh, and you got onto the lists. Um, and then the UN meeting itself, I could have legitimately gotten in through some of my NGO Contact. But in the end, I, I have a journalist friend um, and he needed help with cameraman. So uh, so we legitimately went down to the UN meeting. Uh, I talked my way through the police and through the heavy security. I mean, it was like a fortress. Uh, they let us in and we went and tried to register as legitimate press. My friend happens to work for some of this alternative for alternative press, which, you know, is is more independent. Uh, but often not uh, welcome by people trying to tell a curated narrative. We uh, handed in our papers. They asked us to wait uh, seven hours later. So a very, very long time. Uh, they came back to us and said we were not uh, legitimate media or bona fide media. Uh, and therefore, they would have to decline our, our request to enter, um, which was not a total surprise, but because my, my friend's a journalist, he recorded the entire experience to highlight how the uh, even the United Nations censors and keeps them keeps you know the journalists that they want to have uh, very curated. Uh, but luckily, during the time, we spoke to tons of other journalists and documentarians. And uh, my friend even took the opportunity of interviewing a few people inside the complex. So we got to have a look in. It was in a massive um, conference center, uh, huge. Uh, and actually it turned out that there weren't that many people there in the end. So, you know, it, it happened to be at the same time as the Bilderberg uh, meeting in Washington, DC. Uh, like you said, it was the Bank of International Settlements. There were also a number of other meetings uh, taking place. One was the United Nations Human Compact. That's a human rights meeting with a thousand CEOs. Uh, the week before, of course, was Davos, you know, Davos Forum, um, which was the first time they had met in two years. And uh, the theme there was all about, um, you know, New World Order. And what was very interesting is we discovered that in 2019, the World Economic Forum contractually merged 
with the United Nations. Um, and what I mean by contract merged is essentially they be, became the strategy arm of the United Nations and the United Nations thereby um, the strategy that they're rolling out is a World Economic Forum strategy or endorsed strategy. So if you watched what was coming out of Davos the week before, it was all about transhumanism and one world government and rise of the machines and computers and so forth. So I used some ingenuity to get in uh, and I almost did. Uh, I met a, a lot of interesting people, but I did participate in Greta Thunberg's uh, climate demonstration, which took place on the Friday. And that was quite interesting as well. Did you beat Greta again? I did. I did. I met Greta. And you know, to be honest, I don't have a bad thing to say about Greta. It's the third time that I've kind of met her is maybe a bit extreme because she doesn't really uh, engage with people that much. But it was the third time that I was in her presence. Uh, I gave her a copy of Headwind 21 because, of course, I interviewed her in that film. Um, but also, it was really fascinating because um, her climate strike was publicized um, and it attracted thousands of people because, you know, of course, Greta has 14.5 million followers on Instagram now. Uh, she, uh, she has a really broad... Uh, audience that sort of follow her. Um, but the thing was, is I had found out that uh, she was going to be having a, a gangster rapper perform on stage with her. And uh, this gangster rapper, his name is One Cuz, uh, one dot C-U-Z. Um, he's Sweden's most eminent gangster rapper. Uh, he's been in prison. He's a, he's a troubled guy. I'm not saying that he's not a gifted musician, but his... His lyrics, uh, his ambiance, he only performs in a balaclava. Um, you know, he sings very dark texts about the reality of the streets in Sweden. So he kind of tells the truth about the fact that Sweden is a pretty dark country, but it's not appropriate for school children who are joining Greta Thunberg, uh, who looks like she's 12, for a climate march. Um, you know, and, and I did my best to help ensure that neither Greta nor school children would be exposed to this really dark uh, rapper. I mean, of course, Greta's 19, so, you know, she can do whatever she wants, but, you know, school children uh, and children in general are something that I'm really passionate about protecting from, you know, th these dark forces that are trying to corrupt our kids. Um, and luckily in the end, Greta didn't uh, get on stage with him. She wasn't photographed with him and he only did two quick songs. One was an Ed Sheeran song, Two Step. I don't know if you've heard, Ed Sheeran has a song called Two Step. He's, he's basically legitimizing by the looks of things, some pretty dark um, artists around the place. And then he did one of his own songs and everyone there that I spoke to was like, what is this super dark uh, gangster rap song doing at, uh, you know, a, let's save the planet rally. So, uh, so it was nice to meet Greta. I hope I contributed to uh, helping her maintain her, uh, her passion. But I also found out that all of the Fridays for Future kids or young people or supporters are super passionate, but they don't really know what they're pursuing. You know, everyone was shouting. It was quite militant. I tried to 
change the atmosphere a little bit to be a bit more warm, you know? And they were shouting that they wanted climate justice. And I asked a number of the protesters, could you just, could you just run this by me? You know, what is climate justice? Uh, and what does the world look like when you get it? Uh, and none of them actually knew what the hell they were talking about. You know, they kept citing IPCC um, scientists, but of course the IPCC scientists are financed by the global elite uh, who are telling, you know, like a corrupted story to get us to support a rise in the machines. Uh, it was very strange. It was really good. We came with a banner. It's, uh, we had a big foil, you know, one of those emergency blankets. Uh, you know, those silver emergency blankets. Yeah, we made a banner out of that. And it said, uh, United Nations equals World Economic Forum. And we just wrote, does that make you wonder? Uh, and then, of course, it was hilarious because someone then told me that, it was, of course, it was foil, you know, and sometimes those of us who are trying to draw attention to some of these, uh, well, global collabor dark collaborations or collusions or conspiracy um, programs were sometimes called tinfoil hat enthusiasts so to go into you know a, a protest with a, basically a tinfoil banner uh was was uh was explained to me by many by being genius uh, the only problem was that actually i didn't think of it that way so i can't really take credit for it but we had a good time and uh, there were some good photos taken and some great conversations had i was attacked by someone uh, who jumped out of the crowd and uh, started shouting at me for being a right-wing extremist. And uh, I, I was, was really taken aback. Had... No, no, uh, like he, I, he tried to pull me out. Did he try to pull me out? But certainly he ran up at, uh, and got in my face and told a whole bunch of people to get away from me, that I was like a right-wing extremist uh, infiltrator. Uh, and I had to, I, I, I said to him, why do you think I'm right wing? I have an anti-globalist uh, banner here, um, and I'm 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 with a, a you know a climate uh, sort of planet movement, uh, and he explained that I had given an interview with a guy who's labeled right wing, uh, and therefore I was right wing. Yeah, that and had said, to happen to me really? once actually. Yeah. 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 And what did you do? How did you respond to that? Uh. It was on, on a like text basis, so like it wasn't like in, in my face. Uh, that's about never okay. really happened in my face before, but uh, it's just yeah, you interview some guy and they talk someone on the left hates them, and you know, is what it is. It was very, it was very strange because I had a conversation with a far left guy just the other month, uh, and we were talking about the need for the right and the left, black and the white, old and young, man and woman, to come together to fight this. Um, you know, these dark forces. Uh, and I asked him if he would stand side by side with someone labeled as right in the fight for nature, the fight for life, the fight for freedom. Um, and he said, no, he would not categorically not be seen with a right wing guy. And I said, why, why, you know, you're fighting for the same thing. It, it has nothing to do with politics. It's like survival. And, uh, and he said to me uh, that because he, he can't stand next to a fascist. Uh, and I said to him, oh, okay, good. Well, I'm German. So, you know, fascism is something that, you know, I get labeled with from my heritage. Could you just take me back to first principles and explain to me, what is a fascist? Uh, and so we paused. 
He looked at me and he said, a fascist is someone who excludes other people. And then we kind of had to pause because I was like, so are you telling me that you're a fascist? <laughs> because you would exclude this other guy because he's... So we had a we had a bit of a laugh. It, he still wouldn't stand next to a right wing guy, but at least it started planting the seeds of the ridiculousness um, of this division, you know, that they've created. That's uh, you know, it's almost fake. And uh, yeah, so it was quite funny. So the re the rest of the day w rolled out with uh, with lots of conversations with people, uh, a lot of light bulb moments when people realized that the people who we all know are to blame for our global peril, you know, our societal ills, the state of the planet, you know, the breakdown of the family unit and things like that are suddenly the same people who were supposed, who were supposed to save us. And you know what I realized? That's Stockholm syndrome. Wow, you know, yeah. The world has Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. And, and of course, during this entire process, I, I also learned that uh, Sweden is the center of the deep state, uh, if such a thing exists. Okay, so why is that? I mean, that wasn't, isn't Rome the, the capital or is it not like... Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's incredible. So I think there's a multinodal uh, sort of uh, leadership to this weird... I know China is a, is a product. So Russia's a product, China's a product. Um, Sweden, if you go back several hundred years, perhaps as many as 500 years, you can follow various uh, globally significant developments here. So the first central bank was in Sweden. Uh, the, um, the concept of eugenics, um, Sweden was pretty good at it at the end of the 1800s. You know the J that they used to stamp in uh, Jewish people's passports during the Second World War? Uh, that was at the request of Sweden. Um, Sweden huh. sterilized 70,000 women between the 1930s and the mid-1970s uh, based on social, based on ethnicity, uh, so, you know, Sweden's super, super dark. First country that's almost a uh, digital currency. Uh, it has uh, a society where the identity of the individual has almost been completely dismantled. Um, the state, uh, and there are families. So there are 19 families. I think it's called uh, 15familiar.se. It's a website that contains the details of these 15, now 19 families that have run Sweden for centuries. Uh, and there's one family in particular, which uh, became ridiculously wealthy after the Second World War because they were the Nazis bankers uh, and also were very industrial and supported Nazi Germany with a lot of the industrial um, activity. And of course, after the war, Sweden was relatively intact. So they were they got really rich off rebuilding Europe. Uh, and this family has the, uh, the motto uh, to act, but not to seem. Uh, and they invented or, or were some of the earliest users of A shares and B shares. Um, 
I'm not sure if you're familiar how those work. You know, A shares um, often have many more votes per share than B shares. And so it, shares. you may not necessarily, preferred shares, exactly, preferred shares. Um, and so they use preferred shares to control massive companies like Ericsson, or which is, of course, controlling all the mobile telephone infrastructure to a certain extent in the world. Uh, ABB, which is a, a company that it manages many of the electricity grids uh, in the world. Um, they also have an influential, if not controlling stake of AstraZeneca, uh, which was one of the, the big pharma companies during the COVID uh, crisis. Uh, and they own uh, a bank called SEB and, and many other um, sort of significant organizations. So that was also quite fascinating to, to discover how influential Sweden is, though, you know, you wouldn't think it. Yeah, their bank. And then their bank begins with an R, it's 350 years central bank. Yeah, Riks, the Riksbank, the Riksbank. Yeah. yeah, which is the royal um, Riks, uh, you know, the Royal Bank. Uh, and then also I discovered that Sweden has uh, amongst the highest proportion of influential NGOs. So these non-governmental organizations or civil society organizations. And Stockholm, there are massive ones and they funnel millions, if not billions of dollars around the world to different NGOs. Uh, with money coming from the likes of uh, the Swedish government, uh, these rich philanthropic foundations of these uh, Swedish families, but then the Rockefellers, George Soros Open Society, um, billionaires from across the world, and then they filter that money to other NGOs, and it's like money laundering with lots of layers and you know feedback loops of money, uh, but that money always comes with uh, policy requirements. So they have been influencing global policy and global perception because you know these NGOs have campaigns, awareness raising, etc., uh, and a lot of that rhetoric has been uh, directed from Sweden. So this little country is influencing or uh, nuclear disarmaments or uh, food security or our views of AI or uh, genetically modified organisms. Uh, and all the time they're using psychological techniques to sort of shape our minds. Uh, so I sometimes say that the world as we know it is uh, thanks to Sweden. So... Why did you move there from your comfortable London-based job? Uh, sometimes I feel like I was uh, I was meant to come here, um, but the life I'm living now, uh, though, you know, the the money element is always in the back of one's mind because this fake system that has been imposed upon us, uh, driven by money, is is always there. But on the one hand, I'm building a self-sufficient lifestyle where I get joy out of my daily activities. Uh, I'm just in the process of building some greenhouses. Just uh, we were just looking at getting some some rabbits and chickens. Um, we are looking at how can we be self-sufficient from an energy perspective. And that is really fulfilling. 
you know? And if we get it right, nature provides us without giving us a bill. So the currency is effort. And the more effort we put in, the more we get out, which is kind of the utopian system I think the world needs to move to. Uh, you know, when I was in London, I worked in a stupid job with stupid people. Not all of them. I had lots of nice colleagues, but, you know, generally, you know, um, capitalistic, materialistic wankers um, who were egotistical, um, not because they wanted to be. You know, these were all probably nice people at their core, but the system, you know, it made them behave badly. Uh, so I've got all of that um, away. And now with the activism and trying to wake people up uh, or help them come to this, the conclusions based on better information is really fulfilling. You know, before we started um, the recording, we were just talking about, um, you know, some of the things that you're doing uh, at the moment. And you said categorically that it was really fulfilling and it's really nice to feel like you're contributing to something that will deliver a positive outcome uh, and so between the um, the activism work uh, the farm self-sufficiency nature work and then we're struggling a little bit to build our retreats slash renaturing academy, where we take people like ourselves from the cities, we take them into nature, into this self-sufficient uh, Eden that we're trying to build, give them new skills, help them re reconnect with their inner and the outer nature uh, so that they kind of refine who they are and then to take that knowledge experience motivation passion back into their lives and look to live their best lives um we're still struggling a little bit to get that off the ground just because so many people just don't know uh, you know or, or they've they're still like we were you know, I'm not going to say that whether we use this term awake and asleep, I don't really like that term because um, I think there's people who are misguided, you know, and they're pursuing this uh, manufactured Netflix influenced or, you know, ma mainstream media influenced fake life, I sometimes call it a subscription lifestyle, uh, you know, you want to be something that you can never be because it's unattainable but it works really well for the system because you need to keep consuming. You get a promotion. Uh, you have to do a little bit more unethical stuff, but you've got a bit more money. So you get a slightly bigger house. Uh, you know how it works. You, you kind of dig yourself deeper and deeper into this debaucherous thing that's supposed to be better, but it gets worse. So you do more, it gets worse. It's supposed to get better. It gets worse. Do you, do you think you're, you will be able to live off grid and not, need to have like another job just self-sustaining yourself um living off the land in a sense so we're gonna test it we're definitely going to test it there are of course some challenges because we've got uh you know almost exponential fuel inflation and uh, energy inflation and uh you know food inflation so when we do need to get things from the system the uh, the costs are going up and up and up. That's of course intentional because they're trying to bankrupt us all and make us you know reliant on the state. Um, but on the side, 
we're trying to minimize all of those. So we're looking at how to generate our own electricity. We're looking at uh, sustainable ways to deal with waste management and you know, fertilizer and things like that for the garden on a natural basis. Uh, we're trying to figure out how to reduce our, I guess you'd almost call the extortion of the state you know, these are the fees that you have no control over that your, your council or municipality or your uh, charge you for stuff. Uh, and also things that the state just impose upon you, you know, stupid taxes that make no sense, uh, charges and fees that make no sense. But if you don't pay them, you know, they, they take you to court. Uh, and we're even going to explore with something which is called going autonomous. Not sure if you've had anyone on your shows uh, looking at that. That's effectively where you get a like a diplomatic passport and you've almost deregistered yourself from the system. And then you don't have to pay taxes. You don't have to pay these stupid fees anymore unless you want to. Uh, and if we can achieve that, then yeah, I, I hope to never have to work another hour in a stupid, pointless, useless job again. I think that a lot of well, there's two points I want to make is that the state seems to function as a security for those people that are unable to live off the grid. So you do basically don't have 95% of the population starving to death because like, you need an infrastructure there to take care of if there is no economy. So people have to get food coming in through the cities and deliveries and all these things. And those taxis in a sense, stop anarchy. So that's basically, I was, I've talked, was talking to a businessman in Austria where the taxes are like 50%, a bit like England, but maybe 10% more expensive. So he basically, he's okay with his taxes going half of his money towards keeping society in a place where it isn't crime-ridden in anarchy. So if everyone was to, everyone was not to pay taxes, then you, you could be left with a, a, a much worse situation Agreed. Uh, but that is a manufactured situation, right? Humans did not decide to move into unhealthy, uh, over-dense cities, right? We were encouraged uh, over particularly the last hundred years with the promise of fame and fortune uh, by leaving the land, which was a pointless and uh, insignificant job to go to the cities to work in factories or corporates to make money. Um, we then, uh, it's called learned helplessness. We then unlearned all of the skills that we had before of how to live off the land and how to live, uh, you know, uh, off grid basically. Um, and we were made slaves to the system. Uh, that is not something that we can undo overnight, but certainly there are systems and pathways that we can take to get people back out of the, the, this, this slavery uh, using you know, technology and uh, modern techniques. We can be off grid uh, much more easily. And I mean, there's so much space. You know, they keep telling us that there's no space for all these people. Um, if you look a map of a map of Africa, you know, the modern maps or the maps you see on the wall have a small Africa, but Africa is huge. Um, many of our places are huge and there are 
so many places we could go um, and live uh, autonomously again. And this thing about 50% of my taxes, I mean, here in Sweden, I think we worked it out that eventually 100% of your income becomes tax in one shape or form. Um, you know, I would be happy if, if my taxes went to uh, keeping the peace. But I've discovered that here in Sweden, my taxes go to weapons uh, and creating instability in the developing world because instability is a good way to keep control. Um, it is uh, uh, tons of your taxes just go to the elite because they've got corrupt um, you know, business arrangements with the government and they're just like parasites sucking off the, the, the state. Um, there's so much wastage and inefficiency and pointlessness in the state. Um, you know, arguably, if that Austrian businessman, I agree with his logic, I think you could do that with 10%. You know, I don't think you need 50% because it seems that the more they get, the more they squander, they waste. You know, here in Sweden, they're building these wind farms and all the grid and all this disgusting, industrial, destructive infrastructure. That's all being done with the support of the state and our taxes. So, you know, I think the logic is good you know the state um should be providing basic a basic framework to enable us to live in i would like to say orderly anarchy because i learned the other day that anarchy is not anarchist as in you know you just run around and kill each other um anarchy as an ideology is just about being left alone and being left to your own devices uh, and that as long as you follow sort of the natural law or, you know, the natural order of things, things just work. Um, I mean, the more police we have, the more crime we seem to have. Uh, it's a really funny one because I agree in theory with the concept of taxes. But as said, now that I've looked into what the government does with our taxes, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's basically extortion. It's not taxes. Taxes is the wrong word. Um, it's money they extort from us. And then they give us a token benefit, but most of it is just uh, squandered. Yeah, I agree that taxes could be spent more efficiently if the individuals were basically directly donate money to their friends and keep their communities around them. Basically, we were like tribes before, before the Industrial Revolution. And then we became into the system where we're not encouraged to grow crops and we are so under pressure financially that we don't even have time to know our neighbors next door. And so this mm. system can't support itself in a crisis. So we need this system there need be, to basically stop anarchy and chaos because if you don't know your neighbor next door, how are you going to share food with them? Well, we haven't really seen too many situations like that. Maybe apart from Hurricane Katrina, um, in Ukraine, we're seeing a lot of a lot of amazing community help, um, people giving beyond what they have to help, and also particularly countries like Poland. Poland are just three million refugees. That's really two nations coming to help each other, and also Bulgaria, Romania, mm. um, Estonia, Britain, um, Sweden is helping as well uh, with military aid, humanitarian aid, uh, Finland. And uh, but yeah, coming back to the system, like imagine in the UK, and um, I think that well, 
first let's go back to WEF. A lot of those statements like you will own nothing and be happy particularly offend those that actually have property and have wealth, right? But I would say the vast majority of people that are basically struggling to ends meet and don't own property and those words just, just basically will wash off their back and they'll actually almost be comforting to them because, you know, they are basically wage slaves for paying rent. And so if you want to combat that statement, then basically if you go on, go on and if you have property and say, this is not right, it's going to take my property away, how do you make the people that don't have property be worried about that statement? You won't uh, first, yeah, but first of all, I'd like to just clarify that statement um, because most people are already uh, technically have nothing. Uh, if you, if for so anyone who's financially minded out there and maybe did accounting at school, um, there's something called a balance sheet. And the balance sheet is a, a summary of all of your assets. Those are the things that are worth money and all of your liabilities. And those are the debts that you owe. Um, and if you put it, if you have a positive uh, balance sheet, then you're in the money. And if you have a negative balance sheet, uh, you're in debt. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, if you have a mortgage on your house, um, you don't own that house, right? You might technically have bought it, but actually, it has a charge on the bank. And until you've paid that last dollar pound slotty of your mortgage, the bank can take your house, right? So um, many people don't realize that they already have less than nothing because their debts are much bigger than their assets. And at the moment, we're seeing a situation where the banks have done some really crazy stuff with regards to how they can bail themselves out in the time of a crisis. After 2008, they introduced these. It used, so 2008, the banks were bailed out. That means they took our tax money and gave it to the banks um, to save them. They should have all just failed, but they saved them. Um, but after that, they introduced new laws that say um, the banks first bail themselves in. And what that means is they can go to your deposits and your assets that you have put with the bank, and they can take those to bail themselves out. So they already have sort of access to your deposits, uh, your savings accounts, perhaps even your investment portfolios, which they can just you know, dip their hand into uh, afterwards. Um, but then also interest rates are rocketing. Uh, property markets in many countries are very unstable. Uh, and it'll be really interesting to see how this entire, because most of the world, I think most of the world's wealth is in property. Um, I think most of the most countries, I think Sweden, it's maybe 80% of the wealth of the country is real estate and property related. Uh, so I think we're going to see some pretty, uh, I think a lot of people don't actually realize how little they have. Um, and they live in an arrogance that they have a lot. Uh, but you know, even these people who have $10 million homes, you know, they've got a $7 million mortgage. Uh, if they were to lose their job or something, there would be some kind of a shock. Um, even I was toying with the scenario that if there's a, a drop in the property market and the value of your house becomes less than the value of your uh, the, the value of your mortgage, uh, I have this theory that that might trigger 
like a situation where you have to repay the bank or there's a demand on the mortgage uh, to rebalance uh, because you know you're out of your loan to value uh, sort of criteria within your your mortgage agreement that they could use something like that to take your property. Uh, so so on the one hand, all these people who have. Uh, I think are living in a false narrative that they actually have when they don't. Um, and the people who don't have, and you know, we're talking about all the people who are, um, it's an ever growing proportion of society who have been pushed down um, by the system. You know, they didn't choose to have nothing. They have nothing because someone else has taken from them or prevented them from having something, their basics. I think those people, uh, they uh, need to be aware that it can only get worse. So, you know, the, they might think that the World Economic Forum is offering them salvation, but actually the World Economic Forum is going to take every little last bit of human dignity, uh, freedom, potential for a better future away from them. Uh, and so uh, if you fall for their suave sort of words because you already have nothing. Believe me, nothing is still something with regards to what they will do with us all if they come to power and can, you know, inject us all with their uh, hack the human mind altering uh, medical you know, like happiness inducing stuff. Um, so my word to those people is to say, you still have so much that they can take away from you that it's well worth fighting and realize that you are actually not terribly different to those people who, you know, may have property, but don't realize that they, they actually don't. I remember once when I was uh, a teenager, I asked somebody, um, in a shop who was an adult and playing these board games and I says to him why don't we give more money to Africa and he basically says well you know the reason that we don't is that basically my son here can go to school I like having a car I like having a home and his idea was I'm happy with my western um, western selfishness being more well off than, than people in Africa and he said he's basically said that Africa's poor, so we can stay rich. Now, I, don't, I don't really agree with that is the case. I think that Africa has a lot of internal problems. But if we want to help Africa by ourselves, it's almost like, what can we actually do? Because I was, you know, there's, there's trade there's trade problems. It's very expensive to ship there. We can't exactly go there and argue with some dictator and say, stop teaching people wrong. So how do we as individuals help some place like Africa without something like WEF making global packs, other things like Agenda 2030, all these global things that have the strength to change things in these countries. And so if we are to get rid of all these global efforts, what are we to replace them with to help these people that are sick and dying and poor? That's a, that's a great question. And that's really about focusing on solutions. Uh, and I do think that you're very good at that because, you know, most people just skirt around uh, the solutions and spend all their time uh, pontificating about the problems. 
I'm developing my my thoughts on this, and I think it sort of has three layers. So one is um, you need to be the change you want to see in the world. I know that's such an overused statement, but uh, this role model mentality of living, first of all, your best life, uh, that's super important. So uh, as part of our academy, we do this exercise where you take stock of where you are, uh, and then you take stock of sort of your optimal or your utopian state uh, and you sort of look at your values and your beliefs and sort of where you come from. And we need to uh, all do that, you know, particularly why are we here? What is the purpose of you being here? You know, I personally think that we're all here to experience as much of diversity of experience as we can, grow our consciousness, do good things, create contribute and help you know society be the best it can so we need to do a bit of work around that so that's getting yourself your own house in order um second uh thing is that once you've done yourself you need to help uh, collaborate and inspire those around you uh and you know that's your community and you were talking about how we're too stressed too busy to even know our neighbors uh you know you need to know your neighbors right? Because uh, people that you know are much less likely to kill you or steal from you, right? And they're much more likely to help sometimes, you sometimes to defend you. Sometimes they can be your friends at the worst enemies. So. Well, true, 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 true. But I'd like to say on the whole, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, every time I go to protests or something like that, I always speak to the police now uh, after getting kidnapped by them once. Uh, the same thing goes with some of my enemies. They're not my enemies, but these people that I'm saying are doing bad things. Uh, I try to make sure that they know who I am and that kind of thing. Um, and then you do this community thing. And actually the community thing is like a multiplier, right? You know, that's the way, like you said, when we were tribes, we all, you know, it takes a, a, a village to raise a child. All these concepts are so true. Life is a lot easier when you realize that when you need help, like in an Amish community, you, I don't know, you want to build something, you say, hey, can someone help me build? And 20 people come, right? And then it's this perpetual positivity and support network. So you've got to do that. And then thirdly, is you now that we have this society where you can connect globally, you then need to take this community concept and then build it out. Um, because you'd be surprised how many people do go to Africa or do business with Africa or know people in Africa. So even though you as an individual might be sitting in Scotland, Kiev, um, Paris, Sweden, you still have uh, within two or three degrees of separation influence and access to Africa. Um, and you, you need to use that influence because, you know, our governments, you know, we can influence over our governments. Uh, and also, I would highly recommend people use modern technology like the aeroplane, which is an incredible machine that I don't think we should all have flight shame unless we're elites or pointless, uh, you know, business people flying around for stupid reasons or Amazon one hour delivery air freight. Uh, go to Africa, you know, go to Africa, see what it's like. Um, see if you can be a positive, um, if you can help positively influence it. 
so that's kind of the the way that I view it is we all have to start at home, make sure our own house is order in order, and then expand out through our communities. And then literally, you got to go to Africa. Everyone can. And, you know, the Africans have so much to teach us. Um, yeah, it might be a little bit wish-washy answer, but I do think that that's a lot better than handing it over to the World Economic Forum. I'm currently in, in Ukraine right now, and it's, it's kind of hard for me to relate to the, a lot of the topics that I had a lot of urgency with in the podcast previous years, but they're still at the back of my mind. I'm still worried about what we went through with the whole lockdowns and this coercion. Uh, I didn't forget about that. But on the other hand, being in Ukraine, I've seen a lot of how the world community has gotten together and stopped genocide um, on our doorstep here. And um, so we, we are being pulled in different directions mentally <laughs> to, to sort of process all this information. And nobody can answer no. all this information and what the different players and outcomes and everything is. It's, it's just makes sense, but we have to try. Indeed, 100%. But at least you are getting, you're much closer to the reality than you know many of us who are relying on mainstream media, who we all agreed were lying to us on various other topics. And then suddenly we're trusting them that they're suddenly saying the truth about things like Ukraine. So, you know, that's again, this Stockholm syndrome where, you know, we suddenly believe our captors uh, are being truthful. Uh, but I always am of the opinion, and that's why I, I tried my best to stay in touch with you, because I knew you had a link to Ukraine, that you were one step closer to the reality of Ukraine, positive or negative, you know, just the, the reality, than I was. And I think a lot of people need to take their information wherever they can from first-person accounts, preferably people that they know, uh, and, you know, we used to have this collective wisdom, which was how information was shared. You know, we didn't have these um, publicly listed or billionaire owned media outlets that we look to for knowledge and for wisdom. We looked to our elders who, you know, had like a bond of trust um, that they didn't break for whatever reason. Maybe they did sometimes break it, but not as uh, obvious as, as uh, we see these days. And even with the Ukraine, I personally have issues with the concept that we will achieve peace by giving Ukrainians as many weapons as we can so they can blow up Russia. I, I'm kind of, that's like a counterintuitive uh, solution for me that you can fix war with more war machinery. It reminds me a little bit of uh, we can fix climate change with climate machines rather than you know natural solutions. So I'm I'm hopeful that that the Ukraine will be resolved really soon. Um, but you know I'm already hearing in the background a new Marshall Plan for Ukraine, which is worth trillions. So there's a business 
opportunity that people are already seizing upon. Um, I heard about the food, you know, the food supply. Uh, Ukraine is very uh, important in the global food supply. It's the breadbasket of Europe, I guess. Um, and so I'm really interested in how those types of geo geosignificance factors will play out um, because the, the people of Ukraine have just suffered so much. And I hope it was for you know good reason, you know, freedom, uh, independence, you know, national identity, uh, you know, peace, friendship. Uh, but part of me says that like the Second World War, um, there is a dark undercurrent of exploitation that did they create the Ukraine situation? I don't have enough information to say that's the case, but certainly they're looking to capitalize. Uh, and we hear it in the press, you know, it's such a shame to leave, uh, you know, to, uh, to leave, let a crisis go to waste. Uh, and I hate that saying because that's just, you know, that's exploitative. And what's going to happen to the Ukrainian people after when they rebuild? Will they have to give up? Will they have to sign up to some digital, uh, some new Ukrainian digital currency, which is a sneaky way, you know, to monitor and control them? Hey, Alexander and my audience, we took a little two to three day break there because we had some internet issues, which is normal. So I'm just going to go through some of the, the timestamps that we've done. And up to now, um, we have covered the following topics. If I just change browser screen. Okay, we've covered your experience with Stockholm plus 50 meeting, waiting seven hours to be rejected as a press agent. Greta, is Sweden a center of the deep state? The state now prevents starvation due to city living versus subsistence living. That was my idea. And will most people not care about the WEF saying you will own nothing and cause they already don't? Question mark. So that's pretty much what I've done. How have you done? How have you been the last two days? Yeah, I've been good. I'm a bit good. Uh, I've been working on the subsistence farming. Okay. Uh, just put my potatoes in, uh, my carrots, my beetroots uh being eaten alive by uh by mother nature but but it was very rewarding you know it's really good to put something into the ground uh, that will produce you food and if you do it correctly it doesn't cost you anything except for your effort and uh it's it's beautiful outside so uh yeah i did that and then also uh we have some uh some people coming in the summer uh, from ireland and so we have a, a second little house here that they're going to uh, rent for two months to get a bit of an experience of what it's like to live in the woods and live more naturally. So we have to do a bit of renovation. So the two days that I was away were jam packed with uh, DIY, uh, running errands and uh, gardening. So what steps are you taking to mitigate the mosquitoes? Uh, interestingly, uh, just grin and bear it is uh, the main technique, uh, other than, you know, appropriate clothing. Gone are the days where uh, I doused myself from head to toe in toxic carcinogens. And actually, I'm, I'm finding that the first couple of days, the mosquitoes are awful. Um, they're always annoying. But... Um, you're able to manage them over time and you'll get bitten. It'll go down much quicker than it did when, when I lived in London and you'd go and get 
bitten by five mosquitoes and looked like the elephant man. Yeah, there are some countries where I had really bad reactions to mosquitoes, but in Ukraine, I never really can remember having that bad of a reaction. Um, but maybe London. Well, we got to watch out. We got to watch out because Bill Gates and his cronies are uh, genetically engineering mosquitoes and releasing them uh, in Africa, Florida, various places. So who knows what mosquito bites will do to us in the future? It must be incredibly bored to have to go and just go about making genetically modified mosquitoes. Like who does that normal person? Yeah. Well, I'm always I'm always curious about the unintended consequences. And uh, there was a, a headline three or four days ago, uh, researchers gene editing hamsters and accidentally created a super vicious type of hamster. I mean, talk about pointless waste of our money. Uh, yeah, gene editing for me, Mother Nature has whatever, 5 billion, 6 billion years worth of R&D trial and error. Uh, I just don't, I don't think we're going to get it right. So we better leave it alone. Yeah, man. One thing you can do is actually is grow lavender. Have you tried that? Ah, is that a good anti... Certainly I'm trying to do the complementary plants for pests. Uh, but I haven't thought of growing lots of lavender against lavender, mosquitoes and the like. They really, 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 really hate lavender, apparently. Okay. Well, I'm going to test that out. I love and, lavender. And do you have any evergreens near you? Yeah. I mean, most of the forests are evergreen. They love that. So uh, maybe they don't love the resin, but certainly uh, we've got lots of uh spruce and uh such trees pine trees uh, swedish take, pines if you take they some love of the those. if you take some of the leaves and kind of like squeeze them out a little bit and rub them on your exposed skin like a good layer not just superficially until you actually yeah. stink like a pine tree that will uh keep them away from you that's what i would oh. do if it was like a primitive situation one of the things you I might do. even i might even test out that might even be good for your skin if uh Killed two birds with one stone, good skin and no mosquitoes. Nikos, the uh, natural skincare guru. Well, I, I did the, since this whole war started here, this Putin's invasion, I've been preparing for World War Three. Well, we kind of are in World War Three, but it's just not that hot yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's super interesting that you say that because um, today there was a big... Um, a big vote in uh, the European Parliament about the EU emissions trading scheme, which is a carbon trading scheme. Right. Uh, and it was a, a, a major uh, upset. Uh, the MEPs voted against uh, the plans for a new emissions trading scheme. Uh, but it's really clear that they're building towards something, you know, uh, is it a carbon nuclear war? Is it uh, something, something big is coming. I hope it's not a nuclear war, um, but who knows what these crazy people are preparing. I was watching a little bit of the Bank of International Settlements Green Swan Conference 2022, and they were saying things like climate justice, and then this sort of thing that sounded like personal tax of yep. carbon tax thing but they were saying yeah. like it's a voluntary thing that people will sign up for this out of the goodness of their heart 
and I'm just thinking like we can't just assume that this thing will be voluntary. You know, this is something that could be easily made not voluntary, like in Austria with the, the COVID vaccine. It was yeah. they, tried to, they tried to get that one through, you know, so. Well, and this carbon thing is super interesting because if you think about it, um, the carbon of the products that we buy is controlled by someone else anyway. So, you know, who's controlling them? You know, as it, as it turns out that everything gets passed down to the consumer, every charge, every fee, every tax that a big company pays ultimately gets passed down to the end consumer. So these carbon wallets or carbon allowances or personal carbon allowances, and Alibaba talked about them at, uh, at Davos this year. I mean, it's just another tool of control. You know, it's... Uh, you, you have your carbon wallet, your vaccine wallet, your social score, uh, you know, constant surveillance and monitoring. We just have fiber broadband being rolled out to 90% of the Swedish population or 95 by the end of 2023. Uh, and no one needs it. I mean, that fiber broadband infrastructure is only for uh, surveillance, automation, uh industrialization etc so you know they're forcing all of this upon us and people have a right to say no i mean we're you're probably on 4g i'm on 4g to be honest for 90 98 of what i need 4g is enough so i don't know where this obsession is with lightning speed broadband um yeah i don't know it's interesting times to say the least yeah, man, I just went blank. It's just one of those long days. We had it was really hot in Ukraine, like thirty degrees, and we did a interesting baptism service in the in the lake with the church and that. Okay, so that was uh, oh nice singing there and a bit of like thunder and lightning. I'll send you a couple of videos about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been uh, I've been doing a bit of bit of bit of research into uh, into theology recently, and uh, you know, it's really fascinating how a lot of what's going on at the moment sort of has its roots in, in theology and Christianity and pre-Christianity. So it's good to hear that you're up with the rituals, you know, we need rituals. We need, uh, you know, community people coming together. So uh, I hope you had a nice, a nice time. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, I do sometimes think my life gets a bit ritualistic, which I'm not very happy about because that's almost like man-made in a sense. So I want every experience that I have with God to be authentic and realistic. And so that's basically, uh, I'm seeking God. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit challenging because um, you can't force God in a sense to get closer to you. You have to seek him as well. But yeah, that noise. It's a very good question. Um, I do sometimes think that uh, they're called the Sapo, which are the Swedish uh, special, you know, like the Swedish CIA. Uh, they like to listen in on various people. And through my activities, I may or may not have found my way onto one of their lists. And uh, digital surveillance in Sweden is legal. Uh, the government does not require a, a warrant necessarily. Uh, and uh, it's quite well known that if your phone is crackling or your internet connection is crackling, you might have uh, someone listening in. 
Well, it's also kind of nice to think that, yeah. On you go. No, I was going to say it's kind of flattering to think that someone might think that we're important. <laughs> well, LinkedIn didn't like my constant stream of thoughts. They, they obviously Microsoft can't listen into my public thoughts, but I guess they can just listen to this podcast. So. They obviously Indeed. don't like their. It's algorithm. a bit of a shame. Yeah, it's a bit of shame you got kicked off because it, I was really impressed by the end how you had figured out how to crack uh, the algorithm to get uh, you know thousands and then tens of thousands of, of views of your uh, you know thought provoking posts. So I got uh, up to half a million. Some you, uh, yeah, half a million. Crazy, right? And so once you get to that point, like they just want you to be like at a point that gets them stuff but when the algorithm just sort of sees the level of engagement you have you become a threat because then you can annoy certain people that like will say to LinkedIn hey this guy's always writing stuff on our post that snarky comments and things like that people loved a lot of the stuff I was writing and so they basically okay I said a couple of things I wish I wish I didn't say but I didn't it, it could be interpreted in a certain way as you know semi-threatening but I was I was coming up with hypothetical situations which I didn't think would happen, and um, people were saying that I was, I was, you know, advocating stuff. So basically, I says like, if a government um, threatens to throw you in jail um, for uh, not taking the vaccine, that's that's terrorism. That's, that's basically terrorism. I mean, what else is it? Yeah. That's basically gun. Yeah. Not, what what else do you call that? Well, it's quite funny because um, I I did some research into the UN Convention on Protection from Enforced Disappearance, uh, and enforced disappearance is the thing that kind of you're talking about there when the government uh, removes your liberties or literally makes you disappear. Uh, there is a UN Convention that's supposed to protect you from that. Uh, it's fundamental for anyone doing activism to not have to fear their government disappearing them. Uh, but it turns out that not even Sweden has signed this. So I've been petitioning the government and there's a new human rights agency to say, look, as a fundamental human rights, uh, people need to be protected from their government offing them. Uh, so it's really quite fascinating how we're moving into an age where we genuinely need to ask ourselves who is serving whom is the government the servant of the people or have the people become the servants of you know the elite masters who are the government yeah and the other thing that linkedin banned me for was was uh, basically a statement i made and it wasn't anti-vax it wasn't anything like that i basically says that if people are aware of alternative treatments for covid um and whatever it is and they don't, and they withhold it from the population, that's murder. And LinkedIn banned me for that permanently. Yeah. So Microsoft, yeah. really, you've really awoken in some people uh, a real bitterness, and, and you, you can't get away with it. You can't get away with it. People, yeah. there's lawsuits coming, and there's, it's, it's, you know, anyone can yeah. watch this podcast. I am not ashamed of these statements, but I'm, I'm annoyed that maybe I shouldn't have said it just because it yeah. got me banned off LinkedIn, but that's just, these are hypothetical situations. I just said a statement. I mean, is it not murder if you have a treatment for somebody and um, you don't give it to them and they die? What is that? It's yeah. murder, right? It's a statement. Well, and also, and also the, um, 
you know, this getting banned for life from LinkedIn when, you know, vaccine injury is now a well-known occurrence. We have all of these uh, sports people falling over on the pitch, newscasters falling over uh, during the news. You know, it's undeniable that there are harmful side effects that are occurring in increasingly greater numbers as more and more vaccines are dished out. Um, you know, to get banned for life to highlight something that is reality, um, you know, it, it's very crazy. But you know, we're going to see what's going to come the next few the next few months. You might actually find it was a blessing to disappear off LinkedIn. Certainly, it's been a blessing for me because many of the people that I'm going up against, they can't find me, so they don't well. exactly know who I am. Yeah, yeah, permanently, <laughs> permanently. So uh, you don't tell me, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the post that did it, man? I'm so curious. Oh, I don't know. I think it was something about. Um, I think I was calling out uh, the data that there was data manipulation taking place, uh, and I highlighted some of the examples. And I think I was banned for misinformation. Bro, you saw that um, I got banned, man. You should be more careful, man. Exactly. Well, I know I tried, but, you know, to be honest, again, it, it turned out to be a blessing. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to get into places and meet people who, if they would have looked at my LinkedIn profile, they wouldn't have given me, really? given me space. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't mind. I mean, look, it's super interesting times at the moment. I'm going to hopefully go um, and uh, meet a really famous environmentalist uh, next week. Uh, no, the week after. Uh, and next week, there's a really, um, it's called hashtag, can we talk about it? There's the launch of a really exciting vaccine injury initiative uh, that's looking to uh, catalog and highlight the vast number of vaccine injuries that have taken place uh, to hopefully help other people prevent getting injured. You know, it's so crazy how monkeypox has now been elevated to the level of the plague and I believe Ebola. Uh, you know, we're in, we're in crazy pandemic times again. And it's, uh, you know, we've got to wake people up to the fact that uh, body sovereignty to choose to live or to choose to die is, um, you know, as long as you don't suicide yourself, you know, because God, you know, I, I do believe that suicide is, um, a really difficult topic, but you know it, it shouldn't be something that anyone is forced to do uh, or chooses to do um, if they live if their life is supported. But you know, I think we will soon be asked whether we want to you know risk death or live a fulfilled life. And you know, I'm happy to risk death uh, and live a fulfilled life rather than. Uh, kneecap myself and live medicated and, and get locked down so so psychology has its place in this world there are certain benefits for it but suicide can't be solved by just psychology i think it's a, a spiritual matter because satan the bible says comes to steal kill and destroy and uh, basically, he operates in the world through through, through um, thoughts. So it can be thoughts through, say, Putin or Hitler that he inspires, 
but also it can be these suicidal thoughts and, and depression that it's that it's like a, a spiritual pressure and the uh the bible has the answers the the the, the walking with god through basically mankind has been designed to walk with god and explore the universe and you know heaven and after death whatever but uh it's uh everything the world can offer can only give you a certain amount of pleasure before you you're on the next high in a sense but with with god he has sort of like the the constant high that's always you know new levels of of revelation and stuff like that so um that's well yeah and i mean suicides right yeah and also i think we need to realize that when we have negative experiences there is meaning and purpose to those and it's up to us to find the lesson the meaning the purpose of that experience and i know that's easier easily said and very difficult to do there have been a number of occasions where i wish i you know i i was in a very dark place but i did on reflection have a learning point that brought me out and brought me better. Um, yeah, closer to God, closer to nature, closer to myself, closer to my family. So we need to, I think everyone take a moment and reflect uh, on themselves and also their place within this world and figure out, you know, are they in the best place that they can be? And if they're not, you know, they need to take action and get themselves into a much better place. And if everyone does that, I think a lot of these problems, Ukraine, Putin, China, uh, you know, Biden, whatever, these megalomaniac World Economic Forum problems would actually probably resolve themselves because they wouldn't have the space uh, and the platform to be able to undermine our thoughts, you know, are these people all Satanists trying to destroy us? Who knows? But certainly we don't need them. You know, we only need ourselves and arguably God uh, and nature and community, love, etc. And we need to find more of it. I think a lot of the motivation behind a lot of these uh, elitist things now, um, I don't mean elitist as people that are well-educated or well-off, whether that it's basically people that are for all intents and purposes, bored of just normal life and they want extra power, they want to live forever, they want to do transhumanism, they want to control people. Um, basically, they're, they're part of this system that basically wants to replace your work with God with just artificial things. And the, I guess the more you're comfortable with artificial things, the more that they won't satisfy you and they want the more and more extreme things to, to basically um, satisfy we're always wanting upgrades internet speeds or want a higher definition or mm. want connected to our brains type experiences and movies and virtual realities so basically we'll end up with this sort of alternate system um, which might be the beast to which you get part of and you're like sucked in this thing and you're worshipping this beast system or you manage to escape it somehow and um, follow the light you know because in the book of I think the book of Daniel prophesies that in the end days people will run to and fro like you know, airplanes, whatever, the knowledge will increase uh, and the light, the lightness will get lighter and the darkness will get darker. So, Well, yeah, I mean, you could liken uh, our obsession with inappropriate technology as being something satanic. And, you know, the natural world that God created is sort of the nature, that's sort of the God side. The technology is what we created, you know, God, yes, God created us, but we, we're trying to create artificial intelligence and the like, 
um, it will be really interesting. And I mean, that's why I think it's really cool that you do all of these podcasts because there, you know, there's a little bit of a, a knowledge consciousness growing journey just by virtue of, of your podcast, you know, it's almost like a catalog of you growing your consciousness and then sharing that growing consciousness with other people, which then has a multiplier effect. And, you know, that's a positive light force uh, that we need to all be doing. You know, you do it with the podcast. I try to do it with my activism and my films and interviews and speaking to people and trying to, you know, change the things that I think are wrong or unethical or immoral. Um, and hopefully that inspires other people to do the same. So, you know, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to podcast number 1000. <laughs> You're already in the hundreds. So uh, it will be really interesting to see where, where that journey takes you. It's nice I've taken a little three month um three-month break I actually took a break from the podcast because when I take these breaks sometimes there's a little bit of a difference when I come back to a bit of a freshness you know yeah well I mean and that's what we need we need sometimes to step back and reflect do something else um, and then you'll realize what you appreciated or didn't and and come back to things I mean I'm, I'm probably the same with my Wim Hof and my breath work and my eyes bathing. I have to admit that I sometimes take breaks from that as well. Uh, and hopefully when you come back to it, you have more motivation. Uh, you see it from a different perspective. It's almost like a new experience again. Yeah. So what we, what we expecting to see from Alexander Pohol in the next one or two years? So what to expect over the next few months. So I'm going to be uh, hopefully finding out whether or not I've been successful in the courts uh, with regards to a couple of the corrupt wind farms I've been fighting. Uh -huh. If I win, uh, it will be a major coup. Uh, I'm also pursuing a, a case with the police at the moment. And I'm very curious because the police just, uh, you know, declined to investigate, you know, gross examples of fraud and corruption. So we'll see where that ends up. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to go to Bosnia this summer to see the Sun Pyramid. And in case you're not familiar with the Sun Pyramid, it's uh, a pyramid that's 100 meters taller than Giza, a stepped pyramid. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a magical place. So uh, hopefully next time we speak, I will have been in, in Bosnia. Uh, and also, uh, I'm helping a lot of uh, media outlets now uh, to try to reveal the fact that the mainstream media is completely corrupt and, and biased. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to win over one, two, three, half a dozen mainstream media journalists to actually start printing the truth uh, rather than being a propaganda mouthpiece for this new world order. And of course, you know, this new world order rumbles on in the background and uh, I'm still investigating you know, what, what are the pieces of the puzzle that they're putting together bit by bit, uh, using distraction to keep us otherwise occupied? Uh, and when are they going to launch it? I thought for sure I had figured it out with Stockholm Plus 50, but they didn't quite do it there. Did I have something to do with it? Was it not the right time? Who knows? But 
you know, over the next couple of months, I think we'll see some very interesting geopolitical events. And I'm going to do my best to influence them for the positive. Okay, well, if you get a journalist like that, please let me know, because that would be uh, very interesting to, to, to hear from someone on the inside, because lots of people have that claim that the, the media is totally corrupt, but um, yeah, don't really hear it from many people in the inside, so that would be great. Yeah. And, and um, separately, I will put you in touch with a couple of uh, guests that I think you would really, you and your, uh, your listeners would really love. So uh, let's see what you think of those as well. Okay, well, thanks very much, Alexander, for again, for your time for, I think it's round Indeed. two or three here. Yeah. Three. It's very good. And I, I, I wish all your listeners a uh, happy summer and uh, get closer to nature. You won't regret it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks for your time, Alex. Okay. Thanks to everybody that's watched. And we'll see you again on the Nikos show. Indeed. Thanks, Nikos. See you all.